The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. Well, if you've ever had any uh, sort of career, you've probably had a performance assessment at some point or another. A performance assessment is when you would sit down with your boss for a couple minutes and maybe you'd go through what are uh, some of the strengths that you have, uh, what are you good at, what are some improvements that you can make, what are some goals that you have uh, for the next year, uh, and, and how can management maybe help you achieve those goals. And the goal is to help you grow in your role. The goal is to ask and put into uh, practice what it means to be a, a better employee. Uh, sometimes the Christian life can seem like a constant performance assessment. It shouldn't be stressful, though, and it certainly shouldn't cause us to despair. God won't fire us. Uh, God won't demote us because Jesus has already passed this ultimate assessment uh, on our behalf. And uh, the goal, then, is to grow in faith and maturity and love uh, and grace. And so we often ask ourselves the, the sorts of questions then like, uh, what does it look like to be a Christian father or a Christian mother? What does it look like to be a Christian spouse? Uh, how, do I, uh, how do I live as being a Christian son or daughter? How do I do my job in light of Christ? Uh, how do I conduct myself as a Christian teacher or a laborer or a banker or a janitor? How do I lead as a Christian? These are all good questions that, that need to be explored because they lead to greater meaning and they lead to greater purpose in life. And as we approach the beginning of, Paul, the, beginning of the end of Paul's letter, we have to ask ourselves a question about our faith that perhaps you've never asked yourself before in your life. How do I fight like a Christian? Now, before you think that, I'm, uh, that Paul is, is calling us to arms or that you need to get the brass knuckles out, uh, we need to look at the passage here and, and break it down. So here it is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring about this in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal power. Amen. So as Christians, we need to fight. But we need to firstly fight properly. We need to fight properly. Now I'm not a boxing fan, but I can remember the very first time that I saw Mike Tyson fight. And I realized that as I'm doing an illustration about Mike Tyson that I have two black eyes, so it's a little uncomfortable. 
but it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. I was, I was used to professional wrestling where, where wrestlers would come out and they make this grand entrance and their, and their, their entrance itself was part of, of the show, but not Tyson. From the time that he walked from the locker room to the ring, it was total intimidation. He had an entourage around him. He was so focused that his facial features alone, I mean, his voice doesn't scare you that much, but his facial features alone would be enough to put fear into anyone. He didn't wear a fancy robe, but rather he cut a hole in a towel and put a towel over him. When he stepped in the ring, he didn't take his eyes off of his opponent. When he would get in the middle of the ring to do sort of the first part of the match, um, instructions with the referee. Uh, the other boxer might be sitting there doing, you know, these boxing moves to kind of intimidate Tyson. Tyson would just stare at him. He wouldn't move. All that would move were his eyes that would be fixed on his opponent constantly. Then the bell rang and the monster was unleashed. And if you know anything about Mike Tyson or ever watched his fights, you know that he didn't back down from anyone or anything, including Evander Holyfield's ear, by the way. And he usually won. He recorded as a professional boxer 50 wins and six losses. Of those 50 wins, 44 of them were by knockout in the first round. I mean, this guy was tough and he would hit like a jackhammer. Tyson was tough, and he was known as the baddest man on the planet. And his popularity probably had something to do with the way that we view physical violence in our culture. From a very young age, uh, children across our country are learned to not take anything from anyone. You've got to stand up for yourself. If a bully hits you, you hit them back. And when you do, you make sure that you hit them harder. The way to settle a dispute isn't through diplomacy, it's by the way of the fist. It's the might makes right. It is by and large a male issue, but, but more and more we are increasingly seeing uh, uh, very, uh, this sort of violence among uh, women. Video games and entertainment have not only desensitized our children to it, uh, but it also has emboldened and conditioned and encouraged them to think that might indeed does make right. But the way of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, is radically countercultural. It offers and even demands that those who have trusted in Christ must live and act and fight in a different way. Sure, the gospel does tell us to fight. In our text in verse 12, Paul says, uh, fight the good fight of the faith. And one of the most important things that we need to know today and every day is that when you signed on to this Christianity thing, when you trusted that Christ bought your redemption by the means of his blood, you were brought out of the locker room and you were shoved into the ring. But this Christian life is not some posh, your best life now vacation until Jesus comes back. The Christian life is war. And you are called to fight. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get scars. But you get them not by tightening up the boxing gloves and unleashing fury on anyone who challenges you. You fight this fight by 
running away. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? I've never heard of a war or a battle in which the victors were the ones who retreated. But in the, but in the Christian life, the battle isn't necessarily fought out there. Sometimes it is. Paul has taken many liberties in this letter to teach Timothy how to deal with false teachers that have infiltrated the church and are deceiving God's people. But rather the battle is first and most importantly in your heart and in your head. So Paul teaches here how to fight this fight of faith that wages in our souls. In verse 11 he says, But you, O man of God, Flee these things. And so what are these things here that, that uh, he's talking about? They're, they're obviously attached to what he has written in the, in the previous section here. And since it's been a number of weeks, let, let's turn back just a few verses to chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. In this section, Paul is warning Timothy of the dangers of false teachings. And in verse 4, he warns them that false teaching leads to people being conceited and understanding nothing but have unhealthy interests and disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy and quarreling and slander and evil suspicions. Constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a means to material gain. And if we were to take that and jump now to uh, verse, verse 9, we find that the teachings can, can lead to greed. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little snap, crackle, popping here. Uh, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So then, uh, all of these things, Paul tells Timothy... You've got to run. Flee from these things. Get out of there. And it isn't limited to just these things. It also includes all other sins that we can imagine and also those things that might not necessarily be sins, but things that hold us back from being the people that we are called to, to be. But the problem, however, is that the danger isn't always plainly obvious. When the danger is, we have no problem with running away. If you see a skunk in your backyard, hopefully you're not going to go up and, and uh, want to go pet the thing. You're going to get out of there. You get a call on your cell phone, you pick it up, and they tell you your warranty is expired. You're not going to fall for that. You're going to hang up on them because they are trying to take advantage of what you are doing. But sin is different because it looks good and it feels good. That, uh, that flirtation with that person that feels so good uh, and it feels so harmless, you're not recognizing the inappropriateness of it. And so you engage in it. You heard that Sally down the street was having a divorce. And so instead of having all the information and keeping it to yourself, you, you, you try to figure out who can you call first and tell them what's going on with, with Sally down the street. You could get that job that you've always wanted, but you fudge on your resume a little bit to, to make it look like you have experience or, or education that you don't actually have. 
It's easy, and it's just like our ancestor Eve, who when uh, she took of the, 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 the tree of the fruit, uh, that it looked good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that, and that it looked desirable for obtaining wisdom. So we, we take and, and we, we eat of this. But Paul says, man, you know, no, no, you can't. Timothy, you've got to flee from these things. Emmanuel, you've got to flee from these things. And it isn't enough just to make like Joseph did and flee from Potiphar's wife. Because what often happens is we can run from one danger right into the arms of another. There's danger that's waiting on every side of us. So instead of uh, just running around, we must flee from these things and flee to something else. Look at verse 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Every one of these things are, are, are countercultural. This is not what our culture props up. Running to righteousness, which is right conduct among other people. Godliness, which is our standing with God and our conduct and, 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 and how we think about him and how we live our lives. We flee to faith knowing that there's nothing good in us, but only by, uh, by the redemption that is brought in, in Christ Jesus that our faith lies. We flee to love, which is the chief virtue of, of all virtues. We run to endurance, which is difficult because uh, the, the, the world can weigh heavy on us. Try running with some weights in your hand sometime. It's hard to swim upstream. The currents are against you and the fish are going in the opposite direction. Further, we, we, we flee and we run to gentleness, which is definitely a lost virtue in our world and even in the church. In the church, there, uh, there often seems to be this attitude of, of harshness with many different circumstances that's foreign to the way that Christ calls us. So the battle is definitely on. It started the moment that you said yes to Christ. And so we must fight properly. And since then, uh, verse 12 is true of you. You're in a fight and you need to fight the good fight of the faith. And more often than not, the battle wages on the inside. So we need to fight properly. But second of all, we also need to stand firm in the faith. We need to stand firm in the faith. Even though I, I just labored for, for many minutes now to convince you uh, that fighting like a Christian means fleeing, that, that, that it means running, there's another side to this. We're to run. But we're also to stand. We're to stand firm in the confession of our faith. Notice again the beginning of verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. So it, it's crucial that we pay attention to to grammar here. I know that many of us didn't like grammar in English, but there's something called a definite article in the sentence that is very, very important. Uh, the word the, right before the word faith, is important because many of us get this sentence wrong. When we look at this sentence, we often think of it as we are called to fight the fight of faith. And that implies that wherever spiritual, whatever spiritual warfare we face, we face it and we conquer it with Faith, and, and that's a true statement, that's a, that's a true proposition. However, uh, it's, it's misled in, in translation. The word here is that we are to fight the good fight of the faith. Everything that, that encompasses the, the doctrine and the beliefs that, that uh, Christianity is, we are to fight for that faith. Paul is very careful to put this definite article because he has worked really, really hard 
over the last six chapters, five chapters, to help Timothy fight against false doctrine. And the faith here is pointed at, like I said, this entire Orthodox Christian doctrine. And so instead of a blanket statement here of Paul saying, hey, you need to uh, engage yourself in spiritual warfare, Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight for the truth. He, he is to fight it within the church. The truth is far too important to be passive. And whenever any rebel comes along uh, and deceives the people within the church, eternity is definitely at stake. This isn't a matter of opinion. He is to fight for it in his own heart. False doctrine can, can creep into our hearts at any point. I have seen so many times in my, in my short 12 years of ministry, how many people would affirm the statements of the faith wholeheartedly. And then something wrong happens in their life. And so they decide that it's okay for them to, uh, to think and believe opposite of what they know to be true because for whatever reason they think that their situation is different and it doesn't apply to them. But it does. We have to stand firm. So how, does, how is Timothy to do that? Paul goes on in verse 12. He says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So this seems so counterintuitive. But Paul tells us that as we are going about fighting the good fight of the faith, we are to do so by remembering the past. Paul continues, uh, encourages Timothy's future by reminding him of what has already happened how God called Timothy out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son of whom he, he loves. This good confession is probably referring to his baptism by which there was a point when Timothy came to faith that he publicly told uh, the community of saints that, that I'm with Jesus and I'm standing with him and, and, and no other. And the same goes for us. When we're weak and we're wounded and we want to throw in the towel, when we're doubting the reality of all this, when we're questioning whether or not it's worth it to keep going, we need to look back at the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the love of God. We need to remember that even though we were rebels and enemies against God, he showed us magnificent grace by opening up our hearts and allowing us to believe in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that there was a time in which we told our family and friends that Jesus is our Lord and no one or nothing else. We showed it through the symbol of the gospel, which is by being baptized. These past markers are what propels us into the future of, of, of faith and we need to take hold of it and let it take us to where we need to be. And so Paul then encourages him with these past events, but then he appeals to Timothy in verse 13 to fight the good fight of the faith because of who God is and what he himself has done. He says, in the presence of God who, is, who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession. There's that word again. 
before Pontius Pilate, I charge you. So he reminds Timothy here, and us, this is very important, that as we are going to fight this good fight, that God is watching. That God is looking on, and this isn't a threat. This is actually very good. This is the God who loves you. The God who gave you life. The God who gives you uh, a breath in your lungs. And the God who revived your spiritually dead heart so that you could know him and love him and call on him. If it's this God that is watching over us, then it's a very good thing. Notice that it also refers to Christ Jesus, who is truly God and truly man. In his human nature, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit worked in his heart to be able to give this good confession to Pontius Pilate. He's more than likely talking about John chapter 18 uh, in verse 36 when, when, uh, when Pilate asks him, uh, are you really the king of the Jews? And, and, and Jesus responds in this way. He says, my kingdom, is, <laughs> my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So you are a king then, Pilate asks. You, you say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. And there's that confession, testifying to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So in, in, in translation here, Paul's telling Timothy that even if the entire world is against us. Jesus is still with us because we confess the same faith. Because Jesus made the good confession about himself, then we are united to him in our confession of who he is and what he has done. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy of the extent in verse 14. He says, keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, he's not looking for perfection. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've never met a perfect person. We are going to fall. We are going to fail. But the question is, are you going to get back on the horse again and again and again and again and again until we're with Christ or until he comes to rescue us. Friends, there's so, much, there's so much in this world and in every single one of our individual lives that, 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 that pushes us to give up, to be done with this. So many reasons why we shouldn't keep pressing on and sometimes it, it, it feels like it can be absolutely overwhelming, but we have to keep swimming. You just gotta keep going. We keep moving forward to him who gave the great confession so that one day he would welcome those who stood firm, weak as they are. And he'll say, well done. So we need to stand firm. And third and finally, we wait. We wait for the sure victory. In just about a month, 
the world will come together for a little over a couple weeks to compete in the Winter Olympics in Beijing. And now being from Mora, I may be a little biased, but I'm really looking forward to the, the, the cross country, the Nordic skiing events of all the different races. And there's a lot of different Nordic skiing races. The one that is probably the most grueling there, the longest distance is the 50 kilometer men free, men's freestyle. It's a mass start race which means everybody in the race starts at once. Usually there's a staggered start time so that people aren't tripping over each other and all that kind of thing. But no, this is a, a freestyle mass start race. Um, and so for those of us that are uh, into the imperial measurement system, this is a race that's just over 31 miles. That's six miles uh, longer than a marathon, five miles longer than, than a running marathon. That's a long way. It, it, it's, uh, it's three kilometers longer than the Vasa that's going to happen here on February 12th. Uh, these guys are skiing for so long and for so, uh, so hard that it's not unusual that when they cross the finish line, they, they just sort of collapse and fall on the ground and try to catch their breath uh, for a couple minutes. Now, 50K freestyle in the Olympics is nothing compared to the Vasa Lopet that happens all the way over in Sweden, which is 40 kilometers longer than the Olympics, 90 kilometers. That's 56 miles of skiing. Do they do that in one day? They do? Oh my goodness, I need to get in shape. And um, some folks from town here have done it before. And I can only imagine that unless you are in the top 10, just finishing the race is the victory. Getting across that line, finishing strong, or even if you have to take off your skis and crawl across, the finish line is the sure sign of victory. And living the Christian life can often uh, seem like, uh, like skiing 50 kilometers of freestyling. For some of us, it feels more like the 90 kilometers of, of, of skiing. There are points in which, man, you feel like you could take on the world. You just take one of those gel packets and squeeze it in your mouth, and you've got energy that you can just keep on going. Then there are times that, that your leg cramps up. You get hurt. You wipe out. or Coming down a hill, or you're, you're exhausted that you can't go on. I've, I've, I've known folks that have had to, had to give up on the 13K here and get medical attention. I, I, I've, known a, I've known a guy who broke a ski halfway through training, and he couldn't finish. He had to call his wife to come pick him up. So things happen out there. You don't know how or even when or if you'll cross the finish line, but you will. And Paul tells us in verse 15... God will bring it about in his own time. And what will he bring about? He'll bring about the final victory in Jesus found in verse 14. The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is um, the time that is on the clock when you are coming toward that finish line or perhaps the finish line of this world, that clock is of little importance. Because God is going to do it in his own time. He is never late. He's never early. He is 
right when he knows that he needs to be. He knows what is best for me, and he knows best what is for you, and he is using the time now to work out his will and his plan, and we are to trust in his timing. And why are we to trust in him? Because Paul gives us some of his attributes in verses 15 and 16. That he is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now this is an obvious dig on the emperor, Caesar. And any common trust in political realities. In Paul's and Paul and Timothy's day, Caesar was recognized as a god. Caesar was recognized as all sovereign. That he is the ruler, the Lord of all things. And Paul reminded Timothy, the church at Ephesus, as well as us here at Emmanuel, that we are not to trust in the government of the United States. We're not to trust in Biden. We're not to trust in Trump. We're not to trust in Fauci. We're not to trust in the CDC. We are not to trust in any political reality that will steal our hearts and our affections or whomever it would be that we think can deliver us from our problems. There is one and only person, one object that can deliver us from our plight, and that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Only Christ Jesus, and Jesus alone is the hope of the world. And we are to flee, we are to take our stand, and we are to wait for the deliverance that is provided by him and him alone. And he ends this incredible section seemingly with a doxology. Now, if you remember, we talked a long time ago about a doxology is, it's a, it's a pithy little statement of praise. He says, God will bring about this in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Friends, this is the God who is worthy of our trust. This is the God who deserves our praise. This is the God who warrants our respect and honor in every aspect of our lives. And so therefore, this is the God whom we fight for with our lives by running, standing, and waiting. Father in heaven, we thank you. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and making Him known.